Welcome to the show. So glad you are here. We have a great show for you today, as we do every single day. Today is election day. Now, millions of people have already voted early in this country, but today is the day, general election day, all over the country. And we're talking about several key races. Also, got to mention that Nikki Haley made a nasty racist attack against Senator Warnock. And we're going to expose all of the election denying candidates. That's right, we got election denying candidates on the ballot. And here to break this these things down with me, Ben is back and we are so glad to have Ben back. And, and she is a contributor of, of Breakdown and the host of Galaxy Brain. Ben, so glad you are back with us. Yeah, I'm excited to be back. I just got back from voting. <laughs> very, very excited to be here. So glad. I got to do that right after this show. Looking forward to it, but I'm glad you got in there. Was 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 the polling location that you went to? How was the traffic feeling? Oh, it was I mean, it was really empty, but like it's kind of really wild. Like, I don't know. The area that I live in is is pretty wild cuz I'm like downtown Minneapolis, but like also like my area kind of has like it's it kind of has parts of like the bougier areas of Minneapolis. So like the the lines were really, really short. Like there really wasn't a line at all. Plus I went in like lunchtime. So like maybe people hadn't got the opportunity to like jump in yet. Yeah, that is true. Maybe people voted early already too. That's a lot of people could have voted early because millions have already done that. So that is beautiful. So let's look at our elections day analysis. We're gonna start with that. And today again is election day all over the country and TYT is the place to be for all of your coverage needs. So much is at stake, it is so important that you vote. So if you have not voted yet, please do not waste this opportunity to let your voice be heard. One person, one vote. And guess what, even if you mad as hell, disappointed as hell, however you're feeling, whatever your vibe is, still go and cast that ballot, do that. Yeah, we need you, we need to hear your voice. So currently, the vote on Tuesday, which is today, comes as Americans grapple with sky high inflation and living costs. And the economy has emerged as the top concern among supporters of both the Democratic and Republican parties, that is true. And let us remind you what those top issues are. We're gonna put up this graph so you can see it and maybe hear a little bit of what I have to say about it too, just in case you're just listening and you're not necessarily looking. But the number one issue is the economy. Second is the coronavirus. Yes, the pandemic is not over. We might be done with the pandemic. Pandemic is not done with us. Healthcare, national security, climate change, immigration, racial gender equality, the Supreme Court, education, and foreign policy. The number one issue, though, is the economy. That is bread, that is gas, that is how do I pay for my rent, my mortgage, my car note. How do I just live every single day? Because my dollar is not going as far as it did two years ago, four years ago, it's just not stretching. What am I to do? What should my family do? What should my community members do? The economy, whether you're Republican or Democrat. But luckily at TYT, we got you covered. So TYT's own Jonathan Larson broke down exactly what could play out tonight. And Jonathan put it this way, what will happen tonight? Uncertainty, we might not know tonight. Who will control either congressional chambers in 2023 and 2024? A red wave could happen. Scanning some state by state race assessments, I saw a lot more tight house races than expected. Not a red wave. The polling is so janky this year that it doesn't seem impossible that Democrats will hold on to one or possibly even two chambers or a blue wave. Question mark. There's nothing to indicate that this is in the works. So this is Jonathan breaking it down for us in only the way that Jonathan can. So Jonathan will be on Twitter Spaces tonight with two of our other colleagues. Ben will be with TYT Washington correspondents Candace Cole and TYT National correspondent Matthew Sheffield. We and they will be live blogging. TYT original reporting all day long. So if you want original, not horse race stuff, you need to tune in to what Jonathan and Candace and 
Jonathan and Candace, what they are doing tonight, and also Matthew. So look at uh, this tweet from Matthew. Please bookmark or set a reminder tomorrow to join my colleagues, Jonathan Larson, Candace Cole, and I as we cover election results and the larger trends. You don't want to miss it. Go to Twitter Spaces. Ben. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the economy being number one is really telling because. I mean, there's a big divide actually in the United States about what that word even means. And it actually frustrates me that when they poll, they just ask the economy in general. Because for most people, for like regular working class people, the economy means can I afford to pay rent? Can I afford my yes. medical bills? You know, can I afford, you know, like, you know, paying for my kids' school lunches? Because that's something that we have to pay for in the United States for some reason, right? That's what like real regular working class people are concerned about. But a lot of people who are in like the political spaces who are like electeds, when they hear the economy, they're thinking, how is the stock market doing? Are corporate profits doing well? You know, what's what's happening with all these things? And so they will take these polling numbers, they'll say they'll fix the economy, and they'll do this tinkering, like what the Federal Reserve is doing right now, where they're quite literally trying to increase unemployment and decrease wages. Where what we want is the exact opposite. We want lower unemployment and we want higher wages. And so like fundamentally, I think the way that pollsters ask that question is a little bit frustrating because it allows for too much dishonesty from a lot of politicians. And it really speaks, in my opinion, to the major failure of the Biden administration and the, the past two years with the Democrats in charge. Because realistically speaking, they should have done every single thing within their power to keep in place the tax credits for families so that people could act. I mean, it literally reduced child poverty by half, which means that when that lapsed, it doubled child poverty in the United States. So no wonder people are worried about the economy. The problem is that too many elected officials are worried about Wall Street and not actually worried about what's in people's wallets. That's exactly right. And had the Democrats, I mean, because it's very clear that the GOP, especially on the federal level, they're gone. They've lost their minds, the majority of them. But to your point, Ben, had the Democratic Party focused more on what is impacting the 98%, what is necessary to change their material conditions, I believe that the divisiveness and the cultural wars that the Republicans are propagating would not penetrate as much. But the Democrats fail to address the needs of the 98%. And so here we are with the races tightening. You know, a few months ago, these races were not that tight. People were more assured than not that the Democrats were going to hold on to both chambers. But now it's going to be a nail biter. And Jonathan just really laid that out. I want to remind folks also that you can catch all of the election night coverage on TYT. You don't have to go anywhere. Just go ahead and watch TYT all night. We're going to have that special coverage that is going to start after the Young Turk. And you can tune in at 8 p.m. And we're going, baby. So you don't want to miss it. It's going to be exciting. And speaking of exciting, we're going to put up, we're going to talk about some races to watch. So let's keep our election day focus rolling in and look at some important races. Now, if Ben and I do not cover your particular state's race, that does not mean that it's not important, but there's so many races going on across the country. You got regional offices, judicial offices, federal offices. We could not possibly cover them all, but we're just gonna give you a little sampling. Is that all right? And then we want you to come on back between Jonathan and the team and then the eight o'clock team. We have you covered. So which races are we gonna talk about right now? I'm so glad that you asked. Here are the house races to watch. We have California's 22nd district, we have New York's 17th district, we have Oregon's 5th district, and we have Rhode Island's 2nd district. And here are some key ballot initiatives for the states. So California has on the ballot abortion as a constitutional right. New York, $4.2 billion for environment and infrastructure needs in that state. Oregon, healthcare as a constitutional right. We covered this story before. Go ahead on Oregon, 
Go ahead and let it let it start with you. And then we have Rhode Island, four hundred million dollars for infrastructure and education. And this is this information is coming from Ballopedia. So again, key races and key ballot initiatives. Let us not forget that on election day, and every year there is an election. Sometimes we forget just because it's not the presidential. There's no such thing as an off year election. Every single election season matters. And for this election season in particular, it's not just who's gonna control the Congress, but on a more local level, what type of initiatives will pass to really help the people in those respective states. So I'm glad to see a variety of big initiatives on the ballot, particularly excited about the great state of Oregon, because I believe that a ripple effect is gonna happen all over this country. Come through Oregon, we counting on you. So it could be the first state in, in US history to guarantee healthcare as a human right. It is indeed something that most Americans want, despite what you hear from the talking heads. And so we see on the graph that the majority of the American people this is coming from the Gallup poll. And it does not matter what their political affiliation is. They believe that the government should be more involved in healthcare and to make sure that all Americans have health care coverage. Let's bold that, let's underline that, let's put an exclamation point. The people who are out of touch are the politician, the politicians. The people who are out of touch are the people who want to continue to commodify health care. But the American people know exactly what they want and what they need. This is a necessity. So come through Oregon. Ben, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I have big hopes for, for that ballot initiative in Oregon. Although I do have to say, like, I, I don't know the text of it, but I really, really hope that there's real money behind it because in Minnesota, for example, we have a we you know a long time ago passed a constitutional amendment in our state constitution guaranteeing equality in education, right? And that for a very short period of time ended the local property tax version of funding schools. And after a very short period of time, that was brought back, right? It was brought back and now Minnesota literally has one of the most unequal school systems in the country. So that ballot initiative is really gonna be just the beginning. But as far as like the races to watch, like fundamentally this whole election cycle is really a nail biter, especially with Republicans already having introduced legislation that in some ways could effectively ban queer folks from public spaces by threatening to withdraw federal funding from any public or private institution that allows anybody under the age of 10 to even hear or see the mention of gay or trans folks. Um, this is really like a nail biter election because Democrats need to hold on to at least one chamber to effectively prevent stuff like that from happening. Because as much as Joe Biden has the veto power, like, do we really trust? Like, do we really trust that he's not going to make some sort of grand compromise or that uh, that he's maybe going to throw somebody under the bus? Like, I don't know. Maybe I'm a little bit cynical, but I I. I'm always weary of, of compromises between somebody like Joe Biden and a Republican House and Senate. Um, but with all of that said, I, you know, to your point, uh, Nina, is earlier you said like the off cycle elections are super important. I would argue to say that in some ways they're more important. And that also is kind of why they're off cycle elections. Because like fundamentally, your county commissioners, your elected judges, right, your city council members, they have a ton of power, way more power than you would actually think that they do. And and the unfortunate reality is, is that the way journalism is in the United States, there just hasn't been a big budget to like constantly keep track of like what county commissioners are up to. So if all it takes is you reaching out to somebody that you trust, who knows like who's gonna be good and not good for those positions. Like, please, please reach out to you know whoever you need to to figure out those smaller local races because they have a lot of power. They do, and I don't think you're being cynical at all. We know that this president was involved in the so-called grand bargain many decades ago to cut Medicare, Medicaid, and Social Security. So I don't think you're being cynical at all. You're just laying it down the way that it is. That at this particular moment, we really do need the Democrats to hold control, or to your more important point, at least control of one of the chambers so that we can push back on the wickedness that today's GOP on the federal level, again, especially, but and also on the state levels too, unfortunately, they control most of the legislatures and the governor's mansions in this country. 
you, the, the point about how local government is so vitally important is often overlooked. And I like to say that there really is no such thing as an off year election. That every single election cycle we have to be on and popping. Now there are presidential election cycles and then there are election cycles where you're doing the gubernatorial candidates. You're doing your county commissioners or county executives, council members, judicial candidates have a lot of sway and say on how one navigates through life. Those races are vitally important and been the extra special point that you made about those types of races being even more important because local government, the closer the government is, the faster the people will feel the impact. And so we the people have to pay attention to those races a lot more, regardless of whether mainstream media is talking about them enough, they are all important. So we know that we have universal healthcare, democracy, investments in communities and the environment, reproductive freedom are all on the ballot along with so much more. Yeah, please, if you have not voted yet, Go and vote, don't let anybody steal your ability to exercise your voice. Most people are not gonna run for office, but we all have the opportunity to get out there to vote. And even if there are hurdles in your state, which a lot of states are putting up a lot of hurdles because the GOP, they are, they've just lost their ever loving minds. I'm quoting my grandmother, I still want you to go out to vote, even you know, no matter what, go out to vote. And so another honorary race that we wanna mention, we wanna talk about the race, the race in Los Angeles, which has seen a Democratic Congresswoman Karen Bass's lead tighten as of late. So let's put up the graphic. We see Rick Caruso support has increased by 10 percentage points. So sad about this. Since late September, while support for Representative Karen Bass has remained steady and the share of undecided voters has dropped. You know, when people start airing those commercials and saying all kinds of stuff, it can definitely sway. Negative ads work. We say, as I can't. I don't talk to people who, I've never talked to anyone who say, oh yeah, I love those negative ads. Most people will say they hate the negative ads, but negative ads do sway people. And take it from me, I know I've been bitten, bitten in the behind by a lot of negative over the top ads in my political career. So Bass is up, Representative Bass is up against a billionaire land developer, Rick Caruso, who claims to be a Democrat, but is really a Republican in Democrat. Democratic clothing. He understands where he's running. And so that's why saying that he's a Democrat, he thinks that's gonna get him some brownie points. He was a Republican for three years and served on Trump's economic council. So did he wake up and have an epiphany all of a sudden? Uh, hardly unlikely. He is weighing the terrain that he's running in. And so now all of a sudden he is a Democrat. And another example of billionaires trying to run elections and also to be an elected official. We already know that billionaires are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to impact elections all over the country at all levels of government. They're spending that kind of money. But not only are they spending that kind of money, they're also running for office too. Billionaires are running for office. Now they have a right to do so, but you got a question. You got all this money and then you still wanna be in more control. They already control politicians in this country, they are the owner donors and now they wanna take on the offices too. And oh, Governor Gavin Newsom of California has yet to endorse anybody in this race. I am absolutely stunned. You know what, because this is a consequential election. And having him not weigh in, I wonder why he hasn't weighed in. And of course you all know I would want him to weigh in for Representative Karen Bass. That's a big question mark, Ben. Yeah, most definitely. I mean, like this is like beyond corruption, right? Because like we all understand that if you have a billionaire give a ton of money to a politician to get them to do policies that they want, we all understand that to be corruption. But now billionaires are just like, "Wait a minute, why should I spend money on, you know, corrupting these politicians when I can just run for office, right? I can have like all of these other politicians endorse me. <laughs> and uh, now look at here I am, right? Man, let me let me jump in real quick, but you are so right. Why should I invest all this money in other folks where I could just be the person myself? You are yeah. so right. <laughs> Um, because like his direct interest is contrary to your interest, right? Like that's it, it's, it's plain and simple. If he's a real estate developer, he wants your rent to go up. Like by definition, he makes more money. The higher your rent is, 
the more money he makes. And there's like the, there was a whole breaking story a while ago about landlords using this technology and actually decreasing their occupancy rates and jacking up rents so that they make a more money off of less people living there. So we're talking about landlords across America are actively profiting off of and creating homelessness. And this is a guy who promised the like what he's trying to clean up the streets. Okay, first and foremost, you should always be wary of anybody that uses any type of language like that, right? <laughs> like, you know, that's a bad omen. But on top of that, like, you were the person that you you were the literally the cause of why people are living in the streets. There is so much empty housing out there available, even in places like California, that you are actively sitting on, that you're actively sitting on for a profit and allowing people to be homeless. The the real like thing is, like Karen Bass is great, but it would be really great if we actually had more candidates across the country talking about things like land reform. Like maybe we should question whether or not landlords can sit on empty properties. Maybe that needs to be the real question that we have in the next election cycle. Because right now we're going in the wrong direction with billionaires jumping in. Yeah, we really are. And not that all ultra wealthy people, there are some, man, and we will confess that, who get it who know that the way that this system is set is wrong. We had an FDR, you know, he was very wealthy. We had in him somebody that understood that the power needs to be in the hands of the people and that when you do have that kind of power as an elected official, it is your job to lift and do the best that you can to help the most people. So there are people even living in our time right now who are wealthy, not certainly not all of them are trying ultra wealthy because I think wealth is a beautiful thing, wealth of health body, mind, spirit, not having to work two jobs to make ends meet, being able to really enjoy your life. But we're talking about the ultra wealthy who exploit through greed. And so now we have these people who can buy off politicians. And not only are they buying off the politicians, they're becoming the politicians themselves. There is something wrong with this. We are in the second phase of the Gilded Age in the United States of America. However, let me put a little asterisk there. There are some ultra, ultra wealthy people who get it and they know that this is obscene and they don't like it and they're trying to work against it. And one such group is the patriotic millionaires. I talk about them, I bring them up often. I have some of those kind of people in my life. You know, Ben Cohen comes to mind, Ben and Jerry, Ben Cohen and and Jerry from Ben and Jerry's Ice Cream. I mean, I could list a whole host of people that I've been blessed to meet all across this country who would be in that ultra wealthy category, but they actually give a damn about what is happening in this country. And they know that this these obsesses and this obscenity that is happening between money and then moneyed, ultra wealthy moneyed folks trying to, to run for office and then control all the power. There's something wrong there, but what is wrong can be made right. So we're not gonna give up. We'll be right back, don't you go anywhere. Welcome back, you know what is about to happen, our viewer comments. Our TYT member Lauren says, Nina Turner's show is awesome. Take over the internet, girl, she got all kinds of exclamation points. Thank you, Lauren, so very much. On Twitch, in the scene says, can't wait to watch the election results with Nina and the rest of the TYT crew. I'm in Louisville and voted for Charles Booker today, hello somebody. Go Charles Booker, go. So excited about that race. Charles Booker actually came to Ohio to to, uh, to promote his documentary that is out, which is so, so good. So I am rooting for Charles Booker. And on YouTube Super Chat, Flaw Dragon says, I love that. We all are Flaw Dragons, aren't we? Flaw Dragon says, I needed some joy in my day and I got Nina and Ben. Hello, thank you so much, Flaw Dragon. Ben and I so much appreciate that. We appreciate all of you and the support that you give, not only Unbossed, but the TYT network. And Ben, do you want to talk about the breakdown? That is something new here at TYT. Yeah, no, I'm super, super excited about it. Okay, so if you've seen my stuff on Rebel Headquarters, you're gonna start seeing that over on the breakdown. And it's really, really amazing because on the breakdown, we get a great opportunity to like take like a topic that's like, you know, in the news or like, you know, like happening and really breaking it down, <laughs> breaking it down and explaining it. And I really, really love like doing those videos and putting that information out because I always try to like educate 
on top of informing, right? And and blending those two things is exactly what the breakdown is all about. And you are very good at that, Ben. I've watched many of your Rebel HQ when you were on the Rebel HQ side, many of your videos, you are extraordinary at that. So, so glad that you're over there at the breakdown. Watch the breakdown, you don't wanna miss it, watch it with Ben. I got some other folks, but especially watch it with Ben. Working two jobs, Dolly Parton had a song working nine to five. Just trying to make a living, absolutely work two jobs, not, it's out of necessity at this point. So 400,000 people in the United States work two full-time jobs. That's 80 plus hours a week, and this is a failure. It's also a failure to have anything even close to the working poor in the United States of America. So these numbers come from the Bureau of Labor which also found that in September of 2022, 4.9% of all the more than 1.64 million US workers held two or more job job positions over 7.7 million workers. Michael at the Guardian does such a great job of laying this kind of stuff out for us. Now this again, I want you to know is not for leisure, it is because they have to do it. But it gets worse because through US Census data, or though US Census data estimates these rates and numbers to be much higher at 7.8% in the most recent year where data is available, 2018, about 13 million workers. While BLS data at the time estimated 5.0% of the workforce holding multiple jobs. And it gets even more worse than that. I hate to build up on. The worst part, but here it is. Both data sets are considered an underestimate of the number of multiple job holders in the US labor market due to constrictions on what is defined as a multiple job holder and the lack of data on self employment, such as the gig workers. That gig economy is kind of hard to keep up with workers in that. And many of these workers holding multiple jobs are doing so just to try to make ends meet. Again, they're not doing it for luxury reasons, they're doing it out of necessity. And we're going to highlight an individual just so we can paint this picture a little clearer. Cache Lewis, 31 of Denver, Denver, Colorado, works two jobs and is currently trying to find a third job to cover the recent $200 monthly rent increase to her apartment. She works days as a barista at Starbucks. But claims it's been difficult to get enough hours, even with taking extra shifts whenever she can due to scheduling cuts as part of the crackdown on union organizing by management. At night, she works at a convenience store because the hours are reliable and works six days a week, often 16 hour days. And again, Michael, thank you so much from The Guardian for highlighting this story. So a real one of our fellow folks sharing her story about what she has to do just to try to make ends meet. One job should be enough, but obviously as we can see it is not. What she went through is really tragic, let's go further. I'm exhausted all the time. On the one day I have off a week, I donate plasma for extra money. I'm literally selling my blood to eat because I have no choice. Absolutely heartbreaking, but that this is real. And she is not an exception to this story. There are millions of stories just like hers. We gotta do better in this country. This is a failure of the United States. Let's put up this graph. When we look at the cost of living, gas is up by 58%, used vehicles 31%, hotels 25%, meat, poultry, and fish 13%, furniture and bedding 11%, new vehicles 11%, domestic services 10%, jewelry 6%, electricity 6%, food 6%, apparel 5%, milk 4%, fruits and vegetables 4%. People need all of these things, this is real. And their dollars are not going as far. And most of this is due to corporate greed. Corporations charging more than what it costs for them to do business, overcharging more than what it costs for them to do business. But meanwhile, CEO pay has skyrocketed. Take a look at this. 1,322% since 1978. CEOs were paid 351 times as much as the typical worker in 2020. So please spare me 
this we can't give the everyday working folks of this country a raise. Spare me that when the CEOs of this country, when their pay is skyrocketed by 1,322%. Ben, this really gets my blood boiling. Yeah, I mean, it's really infuriating because like, 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 I mean, first and foremost, the gig workers thing. That's like, isn't that most people who have a second job or don't doing like Uber or Lyft or something like that, they're doing some type of gig work. So if that's where there's missing data and that's where they're having a hard time keeping track of things, well then, like I got news, this is probably a severe undercount, especially when you touch on like all of the different factors that like, I mean, like let's be real, the programs that at one point in time existed to help working class poor folks in the United States that were completely gutted, right? That were completely gutted. The means testing levels on all those things hasn't changed in like a really long time. And when it changes, it doesn't change by very much, which means that like working class folks who are not like surviving at all that are just living in absolute poverty still don't qualify for like a lot of these programs. And then when you talk about affordable housing, you realize that a lot of the income requirements basically make those a poverty trap, right? Where you're not allowed to make any more money. I mean, quite literally, I remember growing up, um, I remember growing up, my mom, to be clear, had six kids. My mom had six kids and she was terrified. She had to turn down a 25 cent raise because it would have disqualified us from the free lunch program. It would have disqualified us for the free lunch program and it would have cost her hundreds of dollars. And so, of course, people are working two, three jobs. The reason why people are working two, three jobs is because there's no support. There's, there's, there's just nothing, right? And like, if you go to like red states, there's even less than nothing. Like it quite literally is more costly to be poor. You're gonna pay more in groceries because those average inflation numbers don't account for the fact that prices are gonna be higher in areas where it's harder to get groceries, right? If you live in the rich side of town, you might have like these surplus stores with discount prices and all these things. But if you're not living in the rich side of town, then all you might have is a gas station and a dollar general. And you better hope that there's some sort Type of like fruits or vegetables in that gas station, right? Like that's the position that working class folks are in right now. But rich people couldn't be richer. And that's just what's so infuriating about the state of our economy at this point because people don't have the time to live. I mean, heck, feudal peasants got an average of six months vacation, right? We are literally working more like grueling hours than the average feudal peasant did 700 years ago. Yeah, picture that. And the fact that people's quality of life, I mean, as she shared, she's exhausted all the time. You can't, you can't enjoy life that way. That's is that is not what life is supposed to be about. But somehow in this country, we believe that working class people, which is the majority of people, some of us are at the top of that. But if you if you don't have a trust fund, if you are not in that ultra wealthy category, you work for a living. Working class people who find themselves in that similar position where they can't even enjoy their lives, there is absolutely something wrong with that in a hegemon nation as the United States of America. So the windfall profits tax, I mean, that that would help solve some of this gouging that is happening by these CEOs and these companies. I wanna put up this headline very quickly. The lowest paid workers saw their CEOs make 670 times their salaries last year, all while inflation canceled out their raises. In other words, inflation is rising higher than what the raises are. I think the average worker may have gotten a little over 5% raise. Inflation is at about 8.3%. So really workers have taken a loss. And if you wanna find out more about this kind of stuff, please follow Dr. Robert Reich on all of his social media. He is an economist, he was the labor secretary under President Clinton and he breaks this down to the fundamentals. And he is absolutely a champion for all working class people in this country. We're gonna keep pushing on this. Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. Yeah, she actually said that Senator Warnock needed to be deported. Watch this. Legal immigrants are more patriotic than the leftists these days. They knew they worked to come into America and they love America. They want the laws followed in America. So the only person that we need to make sure we deport is Warnock. Who in the unholy hell? Does she think she is? 
and talking about deporting Senator Warnock, who is a citizen of this country, by the way. That language that she's using sounds a lot like language in another decade or two. But she said that with a straight face in front of all of those people to deport Senator Warnock. Something wrong with her. And she was at a rally for Hersha Walker on Sunday. Backlash was swift and fierce as it should have been, as it was obviously she needed to know what she said was wrong. It was obnoxious. But here we go. Let's put this up. Were it not for civil rights laws, black folks died for Nikki Haley's family might not be in America. And this is coming from the Reverend and Professor Cornell Williams Brooks. Laying it out there the way it needs to be. Were it not for an HBCU giving her father his first job in the United States, Haley wouldn't be in a position to insult Georgia's first black senator. Warnock's history made her story possible. You better talk about it. Yeah, Nikki Haley, who changed her name to assimilate more into white culture. Yeah, she did that. I jumped, I jumped on that Ben. But let me go on back to this. Uh, Larry Middleton, not a parody, put up Nikki's apparent problem is that she wants so desperately to be accepted by white supremacists and fascists that she thinks talking stupid like them will get her in. She fails to accept that they hate her every bit as much as they hate Warnock, maybe more. Hey, hello somebody on that. So Nikki has the gall to utter such words. Reverend Warnock was born in Georgia. His dad served in the United States Army in World War II, and he is currently serving in the United States Senate. Not that he got to put qualifiers on it. Now I'm sick and tired. Black folks always got to put qualifications, even in the 21st century. But we're just letting you know, Nikki, just in case you don't know. Essentially saying this man should go back to Africa is a is quite a closing message two days before a midterm election. This is coming from Caitlin Cruz and Jezebel. And that's exactly what she said. She might as well have said, go ahead and said the whole thing, going back to Africa. That's what she said. And we know that there were movements like this in this country trying to send American born descendants of enslaved people back to Africa where they had never been. Hello? Yeah, this woman is talking that kind of stuff. But there's also a sick irony and hypocrisy. I mentioned it earlier to Nikki's vile behavior. Haley is the daughter of Indian immigrants, but she registered herself as white. Because see, she can do that. On her 20, 2001 voter registration card, she invoked her Indian roots to back Donald Trump's 2020 presidential bid, claiming, quote, America is not a racist country, which is a damn lie. Uh, that's me inserting my turnerism. In the same breath that she recounted discrimination her family has faced upon immigrating to America. It must be nice to go in and out of race and ethnicity, Nikki. So you are Indian when it's convenient and you're white when it's convenient. But there's a whole bunch of black folks who cannot do that. Who just, they black from afar. Folks know, so they can't weave in and out of whiteness like you can, Nikki. Nikki got a problem. But right wingers want us to believe that Herschel Walker's nomination means that they can't be bad, that they can't be racist. Take a look at this. What is it about this guy? He changes the entire narrative of the left. We're a party of racists, Sean. Me and you're a racist. The Republican Party's racist. Well, what happens when the Republican Party elects and nominates Herschel Walker, an African-American black Heisman Trophy winner, right? Olympian. It destroys the whole narrative. John James, Tim Scott, Herschel Walker. Not a damn thing changes. Symbol that doesn't change the fact that at the root and the heart of the Republican Party is anti-black racism. And hell, for that matter, the Democratic Party too. We ain't gonna let them off the hook either. But just electing Herschel Walker to the United States Senate does not mean that the GOP, that the, the that party is no longer racist. 
So history does beg to differ with Senator Lindsey Graham. There are just three black Republicans currently in Congress, the largest number to serve simultaneously since Reconstruction. We had more black folks before that. We got a whole host of black people running for the US Senate right now, which is a beautiful thing to see more than we've ever seen in this country's history. So in case people need a reminder, the Reconstruction era was 1861 to the 1900s. But I know y'all don't need to be a reminder. It does bring back memories to a certain way, way back in 2016. I want you to check this out. We had a case where we had an African-American guy who was a fan of mine. Great fan, great guy. In fact, I want to find out what's going on with him. You know what I'm, oh, look at my African-American over here. Look at him. Look at my African-American over here, like an object, like chattel, like the way it used to be. How a lot, far too many white folks refer to black people. Look at my African-American over here, like a toy, like a dog. Yeah, Trump, that was just in 2016, wasn't that long ago, I'm old enough to remember. And this headline from 2020, which aptly sums up the GOP's tokenism. We need to talk about the GOP's black friends. Now, let me say this to you, whether you're Republican or Democrat, if you white, let me give you this message. If you can enumerate your number of black friends, you got a problem. Take it from Sister Turner, it's a problem, all right? I just want you to know that. And these midterms, the GOP has felt especially emboldened to be racist as hell. Take a look at this headline with ads, imagery, and words. Republicans inject race into campaigns. Running ads portraying black candidates as soft on crime or as different or dangerous. Republicans have shared quite defenses of such tactics for unabashed defiant, quiet defenses. So the GOP sees huge red wave potential by targeting critical race theory. Republicans in state legislatures across the country are gearing up to push through dozens of anti-critical race theory bills this year. It's coming from Politico. These are neo-fascists, plain and simple, who wanna turn back the hands of time and we cannot let them do that. I know neo-fascism, it kills us quickly, kills our spirit quickly, changes laws quickly that will hurt the vast majority of people in this country, especially people of color. And neoliberalism does it a little slowly. Ben, just quickly, we do gotta go to our next segment. I took a lot of time here because I'm, I am really fed up with yeah, this. Yeah, I guess. Fully on display. Yeah, look. I guess like the long story short is if you're an assimilationist and you are lending your power and influence to exterminationists, you just gotta recognize where there's those exterminationists wanna take society, right? Like fundamentally, that is just like the reality. Like, do you want proximity to power or do you wanna dismantle the white supremacist power structure that we have? You gotta pick one. Yep, you cannot do both. We are definitely going to come back to this. So let's look at the election denying candidates. Shall we just put them on up? I just we just want folks to to see these people running for office who wanted to deny the election outcome of 2020. So here are some of the positions they're running for. Governor, secretaries of state, attorney generals, congress and state lawmakers. These candidates pose a serious threat to democracy. Let's go through some of them. So let's just let's put these people up real real quick. Put up their mugshots. Can we do that? Doug Mastriano, Republican nominee for governor in Pennsylvania. Yep, there he is, an election denier right there, <laughs> right there in living color. We cannot make this stuff up. We just cannot. Who's our next election denier? Put, put them up quickly. Yeah, all over the place. Put up our next one. Oh, this is a sweet one. It's Lake, put up that mugshot, election denier. Let's go to our next one. Oh, we got Blake Masters. Let's put up, yeah, there we go. Go ahead on Blake. And then our next one, all of these people, they're running for offices all across the country, but they denied the election of 2020. Ben, any quick thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, fundamentally, like, look, it doesn't matter whether or not these people believe the ridiculous things that they say. What matters is, is they want people to act on their stated belief. Like, fundamentally, that's it. 
And we saw what they want with January 6th. Democracy is irrelevant to them. And just think about the people really quick that went to January 6th. We're talking about you're like, I own the local like car dealership monopoly or something like that. Those are the types of people that had the free time and ridiculous amounts of cash to storm the Capitol on January 6th. And that really fundamentally is who these Republicans serve. Wealthy folks who are willing to sacrifice anything that even looks close to democracy. Because the United States really isn't a democracy. We've never had universal voter enfranchisement. But anything even close to like democracy or any type of representation for working class people, they want to rip it to shreds, right? They want to completely rip it to shreds and permanently secure the power of wealthy individuals in the United States, fundamentally. That is what they want to do, and they're smug shots. That's what I meant to say. <laughs> They're, they're smug shots, but I don't know. Mug shots, smug, no, but they're smug shots and they really are smug. And they don't see any contradiction between what they have been saying and propagating and the fact that they are actually running for elected offices. It's just really unbelievable, a whole lot of nerve these people have. I can't believe it, only, only in America do these types of things happen. Here, here we are, folks. All right, we'll be right back. Don't, don't go anywhere. Welcome back. Do not forget today is election day, general election day of 2022. And I continue to say general election because there was a primary. And I know a lot of folks skip out on the primary, but the primary is designed to determine who actually makes it to the general. I'm gonna do, I will do an explainer on that one of these days, but we are in election day 2020, general election day. Millions of people have already voted, but this is the day. If you did not get a chance to vote early, this is the day that you can go out and vote. I actually think that election day should be a national holiday. That's a topic for another time as well, but we should definitely make it a national holiday. We want to expand and, and increase opportunities for people to vote. Let's go to member comments. Jojo says, smug shots, love it. Thank you, Jojo, that was pretty cool. Those are some smug shots. I have to go back to those, we kind of zip through those really quickly. But yeah, a lot of election deniers, the irony that they're actually running for office, a lot of nerves. On Bumblebee Buzz, Bumble Buzz, excuse me, says you, you are an amazing, incredible, intelligent leader with hearts. Thank you, Bumble Buzz. I appreciate that so very much. You got me blushing a little bit. And on YouTube Super Chat, no vitriol says, Ben, you are awesome. Ben is awesome. You are great at breaking down info. Ben is absolutely one of the best at breaking down info. And we look forward to having Ben back on Unboss many, many times. So today, I've been doing a lot of backbones lately. I don't know, I'm just stuck in the backbone. But we're gonna go to our backbone. The wishbone will keep you holding and praying. The jawbone will give you courage to speak truth to power. The backbone will keep you standing through your trials and tribulations. So today's backbone inspiration is coming from none other than Congressman John Lewis. We know that the Congressman passed away in 2020, certainly a civil rights icon. In 1965, Lewis led the first of three Selma to Montgomery marches across the Edmund Pettus Bridge, where an incident which became known as Bloody Sunday where state troopers and police attacked Lewis and other other marchers. They weren't doing anything wrong, just exercising their First Amendment right. And they were attacked by government, by government officials, brutally attacked. A member of the Democratic Party, Lewis was first elected to the US House of Representatives in 1986 and he served 17 terms. I remember meeting the congressman in 2008. And you know what that was about. That was about the election of our first African American president, President Barack Obama. It was really a delight to travel parts of Ohio with Congressman John Lewis. He is a legend and his spirit still speaks. So what I pulled from the backbone 
from his wisdom is, is this following quote, ours is not the struggle of one day, one week or one year. Ours is not the struggle of one judicial appointment or presidential term. Ours is the struggle of a lifetime or maybe even many lifetimes. And each one of us in every generation must do our part. Each and every one of us from every generation must do our part. Those are the words that we need for today especially. But I certainly believe that these are words to live by on a regular basis. Congressman John Lewis talked a lot also about making good trouble. That we need good people, not perfect people, but conscious minded people to make good trouble. The type of good trouble that comes to mind for me is universal health care or being upset and not accepting the fact that child tax credits were canceled or standing up and standing by the sides of workers who are trying to unionize or calling out the oligarchs in this country. Calling out systems that do not work for the 98% standing up for voting rights. Yeah, that's the kind of good trouble. And the congressman certainly lived that life putting his full body on the line, him and his contemporaries making good trouble. So what type of good trouble are you willing to get into? For yourself, for the people that came before us, and for the generations yet unborn. Each and every one of us has a responsibility, every generation does. So I want you to be a part of, of making some good trouble. Do what you can, where you are, what you have, and absolutely be that change that you want to see in the world, not just for this election day, but for many days to come. Thank you so much for joining us today on Unbossed. We appreciate your support. I look forward to seeing you at the next show. And you know exactly what I want you to do. Keep the faith and keep the fight. Thanks for listening to Unbossed. If you like the show, then you'll enjoy our other podcasts on TYT Network, like The Damage Report with John Iderola, Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie, and The Young Turks. Make sure to listen and follow, and if you like what you hear, Give us a five-star rating.